0: Thank you, guys. Thank you, musicians. Sunday school, you're dismissed, of course. Um, if anybody needs a Bible just to follow along as we're transitioning here, just uh, just raise a hand. If you need a Bible to follow along, one of the guys will bring you a Bible. Just raise a hand big and high, and if you don't own a King James Bible, we'd be more than happy to give you that as a gift uh, for you to keep and read from and study with us. Um, Anybody at all, just raise a hand. If you do, just give me a thumbs up when I'm ready. All right, John chapter 13 in your Bible is where we're going to be starting from here today. And uh, just pray for me. I read over my notes this morning, and the Spirit of God is like, are you crazy? You can't do all that in one message. I was like, you're right. So I got notes and scribbles all over the place. I'm going to cut this down so I can make it more palatable and understandable, and i have have to put a gaboos on it. When I see you falling asleep, I'll I'll do that. Uh, But John chapter 13 is where we're reading through. I'm going to read from verse 2 down to verse 11 just to get us started here. If you're there, say amen, John chapter 13. Oh, boy. If you're in John chapter 13, can you say amen one more time? Amen. All right. whoop, made me nervous. I thought I was in the wrong church. Uh, John chapter 13, verse number 2, the Bible says, And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith him, He that is washed needeth not, save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, And ye are clean, but not all, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. And last time, last week, if you were here, we we talked about the two washings of a disciple. The two washings of a disciple. And verse number 10 is really where you see those two washings speaked about. Jesus says, he that is washed needeth not. Meaning you don't need to get washed again, Peter, if you're already washed. You only need to wash your feet. And if you had that first washing, he says, you're clean every whit. So he said a disciple of Jesus Christ, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, must experience a first washing that washes the sin away from your soul. Have you had that washing? Amen? Let me get an amen there. Okay, that's the moment of salvation when you call upon Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ is applied to your soul to wash your sins away. But then he says, hey, if you've had that washing, verse number 10, you don't need to get washed again. You only need to wash your feet. He says, he that is washed needeth not, because Peter's ready to get doused again. He says, no, 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 you don't need to get washed again, Peter. If I've washed you, one, I only need to wash your feet, two. The second washing cleans your walk. It washes your feet. Now, verse number 7 is key, because in 7, Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Those disciples back then before the cross didn't understand the picture that the Lord was leaving for us today. But today, we're supposed to get it. They didn't get it then because the atonement wasn't finished and the church wasn't born. And they didn't understand everything God was going to do. But we do now, at least what God's doing in terms of the church. And when you wash something, let's think practically. When you wash something, you have a desired effect for that thing. There is a result in that thing you're washing that you want to see. Amen? And when you clean something, what you want is you want to sanctify it, right? That's that's the result that you're looking for. Now, to sanctify, it sounds like a scary word, but to sanctify means to cleanse something, to purify something, to make something holy. It also means to sanctify, to set something apart for a special use. Just think, you sanctify stuff all the day, all the time, right? You clean a pot. Why? So you can cook with it, right? You wash your clothes so you can wear them. I mean, you go get surgery. You know what they do? They sterilize and they sanctify little pieces of metal and plastic. Why? Because they want to set it apart for a special use that they intend to partake of, right? Now... These two washings in this chapter really point then to two sanctifications the Lord wants to see in your life. He has to see in your life if you're really going to be a disciple. The first washing gives you positional sanctification, changes your relationship with God this way. The second washing gives you practical sanctification, changes your relationship with others this way. You need both washings, which point to two sanctifications. And I'm not going to finish it all today, I sense, I'm sure. So we're going to talk about these two sanctifications, and we'll have to do a part one and a part two, but we're going to start talking about the two sanctifications that God wants to see in the life of a disciple today. Amen? So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you today. We praise you today. We just pray, Lord, in the time we have, you might still our hearts to... Get some teaching, yes, Lord, but also exhort us and challenge us. Let there be some preaching here as well. I know it's doctrine, and that's the first reason you gave us the Bible, but it's also for instruction and in righteousness and reproof and correction. So help us to get all you want us to get this morning. And if someone here is outside of Christ, not a child of God, whether they come to this church or not, that is immaterial. I pray that the Savior would be impressed upon their heart, and they would call upon Him for the salvation of their soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want you to go way back in your Bible to the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, which I think everybody could find. All right, the first book of your Bible is Genesis, and turn to Genesis chapter five. All right, we're going to do some comparison and contrast between these two washings and these two sanctifications that these two washings are really indicative of. All right, the first washing, the first washing, puts you in Christ. The second washing helps us see Christ in you. Those are different. Let me say that again. The first washing, salvation, puts you in Christ. That's something God sees. The second washing helps us see Christ in you. That's something other people see. Let's look at Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5 verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. You know Adam, the first man, Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, made he him, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam, that's husband and wife, they're one, in the day when they were created. And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. There's Adam's genealogy. And everybody born after Adam was not born in God's image. They were born in Adam's image. Every person born after the fall is born in Adam's fallen image. Do you see that? Do you see that in verse 3? It says that son was made in Adam's image. You know what Adam was? He was a fallen sinner. He was dead spiritually. And we're just a copy of a copy of a copy of a broken man and a fallen man and a sinner whose name is Adam. That's your great 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 times a million grandfather Adam. He was broken fallen, ruined by sin, and you are spiritually born in his image when you come into this world. That's a pretty lousy start, I know. Now, you might look great. You might be able to have, you may have some serious bunnies like my son, Christian. You may be able to cook people on the basketball court and lift and do all this stuff and feel great. But when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, I don't think their feet fell off and their teeth fell out. But you know what happened? Something died inside of them. God said, the day you eat that fruit, you're going to die. Well, Eve takes that little grape and says, oh, mm. you know, she didn't drop dead. She gives it to Adam. He didn't drop dead. But God said, I'm not looking at your body. I'm looking at your spirit. I'm looking at your soul. And that connection you got with me now is severed. It's gone. You're dead in trespasses and sins. And you and I come into the world in that image. Fallen, separated, alienated from God. Verse number 5 tells you the destination. In Genesis 5, 5. Five is the number of death in the Bible. And in Genesis 5, 5, you see the first person dies in your Bible. It says, in all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, um, and he died. Every person born in Adam's fallen image is born condemned, is born to die. That's why it happens in Genesis 5, 5. Right? The number of death. Now, that is not politically correct. But I'm going to say it. We are not all born children of God. We are not. We are all born children of a fallen Adam. And I'll talk to you in a little bit how you become a child of God. But when you're born, and, 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 and Brian and I talk about this image, this metaphor. When you're born, you get put on a bus. I've said this in the past. When you're born... You get put as a passenger on Adam's bus. And you know where Adam's bus is headed? Adam's bus is bound for death. Adam's bus has got a destination called the grave. It's got a destination called hell because it is appointed unto men now once to die and as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. You woke up on Adam's bus when you were born and you saw that thing is going off a cliff. That thing is going off a precipice. There's no hope of turning that around and Adam doesn't know how to steer the wheel. He's just headed right into the grave. Look at the rest of the chapter. I'm not going to do it, but you see everybody else in that chapter, except one person, Enoch, who's an exception for a reason, but everybody else in that chapter died, 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 died. You know why? Everybody on Adam's bus dies. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Everybody on Adam's bus is headed for death. We're in a lousy situation to start this thing off. We're kind of stuck, aren't we? Now go to First Corinthians chapter 15. You know what God had to do, though he knew he was going to do it before he even started anything? The Lord, you've got to think about the, the wisdom of God. The Lord had to have a way to get you out of Adam, which is death, and put you in Christ, which is life. And in 1 Corinthians 15, you start to see some little hint of it. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 21. The Bible says, for since by man came death. Who is he talking about, Adam? Adam lets death into the world. Adam lets sin into the world. And you know what? Let's not beat up on Adam too much. You let sin into the world all the time too. You reach, you touch, you look, you say, you taste, you go, right? Nobody forces you, nobody holds a gun to your head, nobody coerces you under threat of death to say, you know, go to the club with me or I'm going to shoot you in the face. No, you go and you want to go and you do what you want to do and of your own dumb volition, you let sin into your world too. The Bible says, one man let sin into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. It's not just a bum steer that God gave you. You're just as guilty as Adam. All right? So just, we beat up on Adam, but you're just as much a member of that bus. And it says right here, in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, For since by man came death, by man, meaning Christ, came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, that's the wrong bus, all die, even so in Christ, that's the right way, shall all be made alive. So your God didn't want you to perish. Your God didn't want you to go to hell. Your God didn't want you to taste death. So he became a man and tasted death for you and stood in the place of the sinner for you and became a curse for you and shed his blood for you and died for your sins so he could take you out of Adam and take your seat on Adam's bus and give you his seat on his bus. Right? He took your death to give you his life. He tasted your hell to give you his heaven. Right? That's amazing. Glorious Savior. We get excited out here. Mark was preaching on in the song service. It was a blessing trying to get you to wake up and think about the stuff that we profess every day. You know what? There should be some shouting. There should be some amen I don't care what the cultural mores are. Oh, it's not couth. It's not sophisticated to say amen out loud. Well, then get right with God and say amen out loud. All right? Because that's the way it's supposed to be. When you get to heaven, some of you are going to be in for a shocker. When you get around that throne, you're going to see people hollering and shouting and casting their crowns and weeping and wailing and saying, worthy is the lamb. And you'll be surprised. Amen. So let's keep reading here. Look at chapter six. Go to chapter six. Let me show you what God did. Let me show you what God did. It's a lot of teaching here, but I just want to work some preaching in here as well. First Corinthians six. Here's what God did. The first washing puts you in Christ. The second washing helps us see Christ in you. Verse number nine of chapter six. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? You know, are you going to die? Because you're not righteous. Right. Right. Amen. Righteousness delivereth from death, the Bible says. You're not righteous, you're guilty. You've got sin on you, and God says the wages of sin is death. There is a justice that has to be executed on your sinful soul. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Can I tell you right now, that's God's description of us. We say, oh, this guy's, you know, he's he's a little, he's not spiritual. This one's a little stubborn. No, he says, you're an idolater. You're a fornicator. You're a drunkard. You're this, you're that. God doesn't cut the mustard, right? He just kind of says it right the way it is. That's what God says about us. But then he says, that's his description of you in Adam. Some people in Adam are idolaters. Some people in Adam are extortioners. Some people in Adam are thieves. There's all kinds of people on that bus you ever take the bus there's all kinds of people on the bus especially the ones that sit in the back you got to watch the ones that sit in the back they're like the weirdest characters back there you know you smell strange smells you see strange things when you get to the back but you know what he says there's all kinds of people on that bus and there's all kinds of sinners some of you are nice sinners some of you are tax-paying law-abiding sweet help grandma cross the street sinners and some of you are people that, man, if I didn't hold on to my wallet, you'd take everything out of it before I look twice, right? There's all kinds of sinners on that bus. You know what he says, though, after that? 11, and such were some of you, past tense, but you are present tense, washed, but you are present tense, sanctified, but you are justified present tense, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of a God. Do you know what God did? When you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you say, I got saved. I'm glad you got saved, right? I prayed a prayer. I hope that's not all you did. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If that's you, can I get one more amen? amen. All right. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, not my Savior, not your neighbor's Savior, you got to take Him as your personal Savior. And if God were to look at you and say, why should I let you into heaven? You'd say, because I took Jesus Christ as the payment for my sins, and I called upon Him to save my soul. And that's when Jesus becomes your personal Savior. When you did that, if you did that, you got positional sanctification. It says right there in the verse, you're sanctified. Do you know what God did? God changed your position from lost to saved. God changed your position. He set you apart from the rest of the people on that bus. He took you out of Adam and put you into Christ and washed your sins away and said, now you're separate from everybody else that's going to perish. You're going to live forever in heaven with me. That's positional sanctification. That means God changed the way you were related to him this way. You were a criminal, you were guilty, you were under his wrath, and God said, you want to have Jesus Christ be your Savior? I was dumb enough to say, yes, Lord, I'd like him to save me. God said, okay, boop, I cut you out of Adam, and he puts you, boop, into Christ, and now you're on the bus that's destined for glory land. Amen? What a Savior indeed, what a Savior. Look at some of the things he did in verse 11. He says, and such were some of you. You know what God changed? He changed your standing He took you from being a sinner, and he made you his son. Woo, thank you, Jesus. You know what he did in the next verse? Look at the rest of the verse. He says, but ye are washed. You know what God changed? He changed your situation from sinful to sinless. As far as God is concerned, he has washed your sins away in Christ. You know what else he changed in verse number 11? You look at the end, he says, you are justified. You know what God changes also? God changes your status from shameful, unrighteous, guilty criminal in the court of God, and he changes you to spotless, innocent, justified. You are legally now righteous in the court of law. There is no evidence on you anymore. It's all been washed away by the blood of the Christ, and you are innocent. That devil tries to accuse you before God. God says, I can't find those sins anymore. I don't know what you're talking about, devil. I just keep looking at my son. My son keeps telling me, no, no, I paid for that, Father. I paid for that, Father. I washed that away, Father. We've got a good advocate up there. Never lost a case. Go to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. I know it's a little bit of learning, but you got to know why and what you believe, folks. You got to understand this thing called salvation that you've been made a part of. It wasn't just something you signed on the back of a track, it was an amazing operation that God was working out to make sure you would be His forevermore and set you apart from the rest of humanity that might be perishing. Now, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but people got to call, people got to ask Him got to get off that bus when God says it's time to get off that bus. 1 Corinthians 1, let me show you this. The Bible says this. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is, now watch this, at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. You know what happens when the Lord sanctifies a lost sinner with the first washing? He becomes God's saint. I got Saint Kristen over here. I got Saint Ariel over here. I got Saint Daniel over there. I got Saint Mary over there. There's, you are a saint. You don't need to be beatified, you don't have to do any miracles, you don't have to like die in some magical state of grace and smell like flowers when they look at your corpse. You know what? When God sanctifies you and sets you apart, that's what a saint is. Somebody set apart for God. And when God took you out of Adam and put you into Christ, you became his saint. You see what it says right there? It says those people were at Corinth... They were sitting around in Corinth, listening to a church service like this. But God said, they're sanctified in Christ Jesus. They might have gone to church at Corinth, but they got their salvation by being in Christ Jesus. It didn't matter where they were sitting on Sunday morning. It mattered matter where their position was in heaven. Were they sons? Do you see that difference? we got people all over the place wondering, well, what building I walk into is going to determine whether I'm pleasing God. No, 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 no. You could be sitting here in Aberdeen. you will be sitting in Marlborough, sitting in Staten Island, sitting in Haiti, sitting in the Philippines, sitting in Romania, sitting in all these different types of churches. It doesn't matter where you are physically today. Are you in Christ positionally today? You say, how do I get in Christ? It's right there in verse 2. Sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place. Call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. You say, How do I get into Christ? Have you called on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you called upon Him to save your soul? When you do that, God says, I don't care if you're sitting in a jail cell, sitting next to a hospital bed, sitting alone in your room like I was on a spring evening. I don't know where it has to be. It doesn't matter. In every place, everybody, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when you did that, wherever you were God said I'll pluck you from over here I'll pluck you from over there I'll take you off that bus I'm going to put you into the body of Christ and make you my child that's a positional change look at verse number do you get that? because that's contrary to what's out there in the world Will I attend this church? Will I go to that church? Will I went to this synagogue? I went to this temple. I experienced this retreat. Guess what? If we took a sledgehammer and some spray paint to this room or to any room, if we went up to St. Peter's or St. Patrick's or St. Billy Bob, Joe Bob's, whatever it was, guess what? Some guy with a belt that was dropping his pants too low put those pipes in. Somebody had to put that wall up. Somebody had to paint that stuff. And if we just took a sledgehammer and a scalpel or just a a sheetrock knife or something like that, we could break the whole place apart and make it look like a wreck. It's just glass and stuff. That's not going to touch your soul. There's got to be something that happens. you got people that got saved in prison cells, in fields. God says, in every place, the people that call upon my name, even somebody dying next to Jesus Christ on a cross, can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. You know what that God's doing? You know what God's doing? He's sticking his thumb in the eye of religion. God says, You think you gotta go to a building, you pious, lying hypocrites. He says, I never cared about a building. He says, I cared about the heart. And he says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, I'll save you in spite of all those religious Pharisees that tell you you gotta sign up, come by, and enter into their sanctum. You know, to somehow get the magic spiritual dust that falls on you. There is no dust. There is no whatever. You know, we could just throw some smoke around here and, you know, make your... It should be loud. It should be noisy. It should be real life. Why would you walk off the street with someone, hey, buddy, how you doing? How's it going, man? Yeah, it's good to see you. And then walk in here and have me come up and say, dearly beloved, we're here today to discuss the deep things of God. I wouldn't listen to a man like that. I'd run away. That's a weird. I, but then he goes outside and says, hey, man, how's it going? Did you watch the game last night? And then he steps behind a piece of wood and says, oh, what are you talking about? Right? There's nothing to it. Right? God's just against that religious stuff. And you know what happens in verse 12? Go back to 1 Corinthians 6. I got notes and stuff everywhere, so help me, Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse 12. You know what happens when you do that? When you call on Jesus Christ, can I just learn you something here? 1 Corinthians 6, the Bible says this in verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You know what he's saying that right after he talked about being in Christ in verse 11, which tells me if you're in Christ, you're not under the law anymore. There's no law against you anymore. You've already died to the law in Christ. God put you in Christ which means Christ's death became your death Amen. Christ's burial became your burial and Christ's resurrection became your burial Amen. you can't die twice to the law can't have double jeopardy hold your place in 1 Corinthians go to Romans chapter 7 Romans chapter 7 verse number 14 you say but that guy came around and said we have to worship on sa- Saturdays because you know Saturday yeah sorry you're in the wrong dispensation buddy we're not under the law anymore Romans 7, verse uh, 4, the Lord's talking about like a husband and a wife, and guess what? When that wife dies, or that husband dies, you're not married to that person anymore, right? And he says, he uses that as an illustration for a doctrinal truth, and he says, verse 4, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. He says, hey, if you're married to Christ... You're dead to the law. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Help me, Lord. Galatians chapter 2. Look at verse 19. Galatians 2.19. Paul's trying to straighten some other people out, and he says in Galatians 2.19, he says, For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. (laughs) See, Jesus Christ died under the law for all the sins committed under the law. And God put you into Christ, so through the law, you're dead to the law. You've paid the price in Christ. It's already done. It's that co-crucifixion. I know God was so wise. He said, I can't let these people all go to hell. I'm just going to have to go on that cross and pay for all the sins myself and then put them into my body and I could be a substitutionary death for all of them. And because I died under the law, it could be attributed to them. They, I paid for them too. I, through the law, i am dead to the law. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 6. He said, well, I didn't say that at my... I'd never heard that before. I don't know what Bible you're reading. It's all over the New Testament letters of Paul. It's all over the place. Go back to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 13. And then Paul says this. He says, 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Meats for the belly. Some of you are already thinking about it. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats. So there's natural desires. So I know. We've got to eat. Amen. Italians are all saying Amen. But God shall destroy both it and them. So it's not all about your desires. It's not all about these temporal things. Now the body, yeah, you gotta like take care of your body. You gotta wash your body. You gotta feed your body. You gotta keep up your body so you don't stink and fall apart when you're walking into church. I get it. He says, but now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body, and God has both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power you know what else he's saying he's saying if you're in Christ you're not of the world anymore see verse 15 know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ he's saying if you're in Christ you're not a part of this world anymore you're in the body of Jesus Christ you're a part of Jesus Christ you're in Christ then he says okay let's let's he says let's let's extrapolate this, and he says, okay, shall I then take the members of Christ, meaning you, and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. He's saying, if you're joined to the Savior like you're married to him, you know when a husband and wife come together, right, their two bodies become one? and they're joined that way. He says, is that person then supposed to join himself to an harlot and marry himself to another? No, that would be fornication. That would be wrong. So then he spiritualizes it, and he says, hey, guys, if you're a member of the body of Christ, why would you join yourself to sin anymore? Why would you join yourself to the world anymore? I know you got to go to work, and you go to play, and go to the store. That's not what he means. He means, why are you cozying up with them? Why are you basically making your bed with them? He says, you're not one of them anymore. No matter how much you dance with them, no matter how much you lay around with them, no matter how much you pursue them, he says, I've changed your position this way so I could change your condition this way. Do you see that? Listen, brethren, I'm going to say something. It might seem crude, but you may fornicate down here but you're not a fornicator anymore in God's eyes. You may uh, have idols down here, money, sex, popularity, you know, whatever those things are that motivate you, that you worship, but you're not an idolater to God anymore. You may, what am I saying? You may commit sins down here, but you're not a sinner anymore if you're in Christ. You see that? One is this way, the other is this way. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm talking about how God sees you. I know we say, I'm just a sinner, I'm just a sinner. And yeah, in the flesh we are, but when God looks at his son, he says, I don't see Pat sins anymore. They've all been taken care of. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and tell me if this makes any sense. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 1. Again, he's writing to Christians. You with me? Say amen. 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 Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Now stay with me now. Ready? The first washing gave you a standing in Christ. If the Lord changed your position this way, He wants to change your condition this way. Okay. The first washing gave you a standing in Christ. The second washing helps your state with Christ from day to day. The blood of Christ gave you positional sanctification once for all, forever. When you called on the Lord, things changed this way. But the book of Christ gives you practical sanctification every day, every day, every moment, every hour, every second. And in 1 Thessalonians, we see those two sanctifications, right? The first washing sanctified your soul. Took your soul off the Adam bus and put it on the in Christ bus. Took you off the bus that was bound for death and hell and put you on the bus that was bound for glory and heaven and eternal life. God moved your position that way. But this sanctification he's talking about is about sanctifying your vessel, about changing what you do with your hands and your heart and your eyes and your feet and your tongue. And all those things that get you into trouble down here. God took care of everything up there. You got some stuff to take care of down here. There are two sanctifications you got to take care of. You remember what we read before in 1 Corinthians? He was talking to the Christians and he said, to them that are sanctified, past tense, in Christ Jesus. That salvation was that first sanctification. God took you out of Adam, put you into Christ. That is done. That is finished. That is complete. God slammed the door shut, sealed you to the day of redemption, says, okay, that's it now. You're in that bus. You're not getting off that bus. I predestinated you to be conformed to the image of my son. You're going there. You're going where I want you to go. You got on the plane. Guess what? They seal the door on the plane. You're not getting out. You know what? I think I want to go somewhere else. Nope, that door is sealed. You're not opening that door for you. That plane's going to land. Where that plane is going to land. You get in Christ, God closes the door like he closed the ark, and guess what? That thing is going to land where God said, It's going to land. Heaven, eternal life, glory. But this verse says here, sanctification. That's the present process of being cleansed. That's the present process of being cleansed. That is not finished, brethren. That is still going on down here. We are still cleaning ourselves up, not to get to heaven, but so that we can be used while we're on earth. You see the difference? Two sanctifications, two washings, to accomplish two different purposes so God could set you apart for two different reasons, to save your soul and then to save your life. What a God. What a wise, wise God. Praise the Lord. You know, back in Exodus, uh, after they came out of Egypt, you get to chapter 13, verse 1. I'm not going to flip there. You know what the first command was? that God gave His blood-bought people, the first thing He said to them after they came out of Egypt from being washed by the blood of the Lamb, the first word was, sanctify yourselves. Sanctify was the first thing they heard. You know, I just got saved. What do I need to do? Sanctify yourself. Get the sin out of your life. Work on that sin. Work on those habits. Work on those new feelings. Work on that new relationship. Kind of grow in grace. listen, The Lord had already taken Israel out of Egypt. Amen? They had already come out of Egypt. How? By the blood of the Lamb. God made the way. Amen? But now God wanted to take the Egypt out of Israel by the book of the Lord. Two sanctifications. God has taken you out of the world. God has taken you out of Adam by the blood of His dear Son. And now he's given you a blessed old book. Why? To help you walk in the wilderness and get that Egypt out of you. To get that world out of you. To get that sin out of your heart and wash your feet. Go over me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, please. Real quick, Ephesians. Real quick, Ephesians. Look at Ephesians uh, chapter 1. The book of Ephesians balances this doctrine of standing in state. And the book of Ephesians is the book we turn to because it's the book all about the body of Christ. Chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians are all about your standing in Christ. That's where it starts. That's where you got to start. Chapters 1 to 3 are all about your positional sanctification. It's all about being in Christ at that first washing. It's all about the sonship you get when you call on Jesus Christ and become related to Him now by birth. And look at some of the things He says you have when you're in Christ. Verse number 12 of chapter 1, He says, We should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ. That's how you get this. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed... You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Number one, he said, I've sealed you with my Holy Spirit when you trusted Jesus Christ. You got that in your standing. You got that in your position. You got that when you just called on Jesus Christ. See chapter 2, look at chapter 2, verse number 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved and hath, made, uh, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're not just sealed with the Holy Spirit when you trusted Christ. You're seated with Christ when you got saved. You say, but I'm looking at you, Pat. I know, but your spirit and soul, thats all. you're already up there. How does that work? I don't know. Ask Mike, Eli, or Danny. Ask Danny. All right. How does that work? God did something. He raised up Christ, and he spiritually put you in the body of Christ, and now Christ is up there, and you're up there with him. Even though you've got to go to work tomorrow, maybe wherever you've got to go to work, he says you're still seated in heavenly places in Christ. That's your standing. Look at chapter 3. Look at verse 4. Chapter 3, verse 4. Chapter 3, verse 4. He says, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ because this was kept hidden which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. You aren't just sealed. You aren't just seated. You're made a part of of the Savior's body when you believe the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Have you trusted that to be your salvation? Have you trusted that account to be the payment for your sins? And then God says, I sealed you into the body, I've seated you up there with Him, and I have made you a part of something that I kept hidden before the world began, and I'm now revealing it to you now. You're a part of that. You think God's going to lose some fingers and toes? You think God's going to have some teeth fall out? You think Jesus is going to lose a foot? No. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. That's all heavenly. That's all positional. That's all about our standing Godward. And that's where the book of Ephesians starts because that's what you've got to get through your thick head. You gotta know that first so it changes your life out here. You gotta know who you are this way before you could deal with people this way. And in chapter four to six of Ephesians, it suddenly changes. The whole book changes, and it goes from standing in Christ to your state with Christ. It goes from positional to practical, from the first washing to the second washing, from your sonship. To your service, from the fact that you're now related to Christ, to the fact that you're building a relationship with Christ. You see, chapter 4, I'll show you real fast. 4 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk. See, now it's all about your walk. That ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. We get to chapter 4, and the first verse of chapter 4 says, Walk worthy. I just spent three chapters telling you who you are in Christ. Are you going to walk that way now? Are you going to walk like who you are? Are you going to keep pretending you're somebody you're not? Walk worthy. Hey, is being saved a big deal to you at all? Is the fact that Jesus Christ did this magnificent operation for you, is that enough for you to kind of change the way you talk and walk and do stuff around this earth? Chapter, verse 17, number two, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth... Walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. He says, you know what I want you to do also? Don't walk like other people. Don't think like them. Do you know what they think? They don't know what they think. They think crazy stuff. They think crazy stuff. We saw that Miss Universe, right? Mr. Universe, I don't know what it is. What is it? I don't even know, right? You used to say, here's a dog. You turn it over. It's a boy. Not anymore. I identify as a... Unicorn, I identify as a snowflake. I am a snowflake probably today, but all this stuff right there. You want to walk in that vanity of their mind, that emptiness, that meaninglessness? You know what happens when they still got to treat you in the hospital? Male or female? Right? Because they still know how your body's put together. But I mean, that's the vanity of the mind. And I'm not trying to hate or just kind of rah, rah, rah you up. But that's what we're living in now. And we're so used to hearing it that we think, well, yeah, what are your pronouns? What are my pronouns? Right? I don't, I mean, I could tell you all my pronouns, but what does that mean? What are your pronouns? I mean, you want possessive case, objective case, subjective? What, you know, what, nominative? What do you want? What does that mean? Right? You want reflexive? You want reflexive or, you know, I don't know. Just verse, chapter, let me, the strikes are coming on YouTube right now. But that's the Gentiles' vanity of their mind. They've built up, they've constructed this world where they think that's real. They think that's true. But you know what it is? It's a house of cards on nothing. It's just like, wait a second, whoop, there's nothing there. And you could say that for everything. You could say that for all types of stuff. Just, it's, it's a house of cards built on nothing. And chapter 5, verse 1. Here's the next way you've got to walk. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also had loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. You know what you got to walk, number three? got to walk in love. Not law. You're not doing it because you have to. You're doing it because you want to. You're not doing it out of law. You're doing it out of love. You're so overwhelmed now, or you should be so overwhelmed now with the fact that Jesus Christ took a beating like that for your wretched soul. Man, Lord, I should try to do something for you to pay you back. Amen. They ripped out his beard. They ripped open his back. They punched him in the face. Could you imagine them just squaring up, you know, dropping their shoulder and throwing a punch into the Savior's face and buffing him with the back of their hands and prophesying and saying, Who smote thee? And Peter watched on from the other room? How could that not melt your heart? How could that not do something to you, right, to take a beating with an inch of his life like that? How about five eight? For you are sometimes darkness... But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He says, you don't walk in darkness anymore. I've separated you way back in the beginning. He said, uh, the light's going to be called day, and the darkness is going to be called night, and God divided the light from the darkness. And when you got saved, you know what God did? He divided you from the darkness and made you a child of light. What business does a child of light have now walking in darkness? Why are we walking like we're still on the enemy's team? Why are we talking like we're still playing for the devil? Why are we running like we're still on Satan's squad? He says, walk the right way. And number five, he says in chapter 5, verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. He says, man, you better walk circumspectly. You're in enemy territory now, man. There's tripwires everywhere, man. Walk wisely. Look around you. Don't be a fool. Listen. This is all earthly. This is all practical. This is about your state. This is not Godward. This is earthward. This is manward. Listen, man. Christ died to wash and sanctify your soul. Amen? You know how many wounds he had? Five wounds five bleeding wounds he bears received on calvary did you count the walks there you got to die to self to wash and sanctify your life you know how many different things he said there five ways you got to walk you got to die to yourself number five you got to die to yourself now if you want anybody to see christ in you you got to die to your will You've got to have a new vocation. You've got to die to your thoughts. You've got to have a new mind. You've got to die to your feelings and your doubts. You've got to have a new love. You've got to die to your way that you used to do things in darkness and live the new way, a child of light. And you've got to die to your foolishness and walk circumspectly and realize what battle you've been made a part of. And it's going to take effort and time and application of this book to die to yourself and walk differently now that you're saved. Go to Galatians chapter 4. I think this is my last verse. Galatians chapter 4. Yes, it is. Galatians chapter 4. I will do the second half of this next week, but I want you to get this last thought here. I'll show you next week, God willing, how this happens, what the Holy Spirit's role is in all this. But I want you to see this, folks. You say, why should I sanctify myself? Well, Jesus Christ sanctified himself so that you could get to heaven, right? You sanctify yourself so others can see Christ in you. Jesus Christ sanctified himself so you could get in Christ. You sanctify yourself so others can see Christ in you. And maybe they could go to heaven with you. Galatians 4.19, Paul is writing to these Christians and he says, Oh, my little children, because he would led them to Christ, my little children, he tried to teach them, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Now, they got, the, they got the second birth already. They've been born again already. They're in Christ already. But he says, now I'm working, and I'm laboring, and I'm teaching you. Why? So again, Christ can be formed in you. That's not you in Christ. That's not your standing. That was done by Christ. Now Paul's putting some effort forth with that preaching and that book, and he's preaching his guts out. Why? So that more of Christ might be seen in you. And your state and your walk might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Listen, a baby is born into the family once, right? Now that baby is in the family because it was born. But it takes a lifetime to raise that child up into the person you want him or her to be. And when you got saved, you got put in the family once, one time, born again. But you know what now? It takes work Effort and tears and teaching and leaders and reproof and correction and prayer and discipline and application and study and failure and trying again and all this stuff, elders helping you, discipleship, all this stuff. Why? So that you could grow up into the person God wants you to be. Two sanctifications. Two sanctifications. Now, you can obscure who you really are if you're covered in too much dirt and filth and grime. If you covered yourself in slime and muck, I might not even recognize you. And there's some Christians out there that don't look like Christians at all because they're covered up with the muck and the mire of this world because they've been playing in the pig pen and playing with mud so you couldn't tell them apart from a lost man with a magnifying glass. You can be in Christ spiritually. Your name can be written up there. You can be seated up there. That's stuff that God did. But guess what? They'll never see Christ in you. If you're down here dirty, they'll never see Him. Only God sees you in Christ. The sobering question is, do others, though, see Jesus in me? When they look at your life, do they see Christ in you? You had the first sanctification But now you're doing that second sanctification Why? So they could see Christ in you Is the face that I see In the mirror The one I want others to see Do I show in the way That I walk in my life The love that you've given me My heart's desire is to be like you in all that I do, all I am. Do they see Jesus in me? Do they recognize your face? Do I communicate your love and your grace? Do I reflect who you are in the way I choose to be. Do they see Jesus, Jesus in me? It's amazing that you'd ever use me, but use me the way you will. Help me to hold out a heart of compassionate grace, a heart that your spirit fills. May I show forgiveness and mercy, the same way you've shown it to me. Do they see Jesus in me? Do they recognize your face? Do I communicate your love and your grace? Do I reflect who you are in the way I choose to be? Do they see Jesus, Jesus in me? Now I want to show all the world who you are, the reason I live and breathe. So you'll be the one that they see when they see me. Do they see Jesus in me? Do they recognize your face? Do I communicate your love? In your grace, do I reflect who you are in the way I choose to be? Do they see Jesus, Jesus in me? Let's have a word of prayer. Let's stand in prayer. Two sanctifications. One puts you in Christ. The other, lets Christ. Be seen in you. Let's all stand, let's bow our heads and just close our eyes for a moment here. I wonder today, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, have you had that first washing? Did God put you in Christ? You know it right now. You know it between you and God, the quietness of where you're sitting there, if you're saved or lost, if you're forgiven or not forgiven, if you're in Christ or if you're out of Christ. If you're not sure, let me help you. You're lost. If you're not sure, Chances are you're lost. So if you'd like to get in Christ, it's a call away. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and your name will be taken off Adam's roll and put in the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. If there's anybody here today who says, you know what, I'd like to be saved I'd like to get out of Adam and get into Christ. I'd like to call on the name of the Lord and have my sins be forgiven. If there's somebody like that here today, just by an uplifted hand, just raise a hand, say, Pat, pray for me, Pat. I'd like to know that my sins are forgiven for sure. Anybody like that at all today? I'm not going to call your name out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you walk the aisle, but I would like to open a Bible with you after the service of five minutes and show you how to get out of Adam and into Christ. It's a call away. You say, what do I got to do? Call upon the name of the Lord. If you believe, the Bible says, you wouldn't be ashamed to call. That's what the Bible says. If you knew that parachute would keep you from jumping, you wouldn't hesitate to put it on. And if you know Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, you wouldn't have any problem saying, Pat, here's my hand. I'd like to be saved. I'd like to be saved. Hey, Christians, I want to ask you too. Do they see Jesus in you? You know what the difference is? How much are you sanctifying yourself? Christ did the work to sanctify your soul. You're going to do anything to sanctify your life? Are you going to let your whole life go by and just spend it just on yourself and spend eternity ruining the day that you live like such a selfish saint? Lay some things down. Pick some things up that God wants you to pick up. Why? So somebody else might enjoy what you enjoy today. Father, we love you today. We thank you today. We praise you today. We just pray, Lord, you'd accomplish some eternal good out of all that's been said and done this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.